everyone. Welcome this morning. And I like this. I can do this. I like this setup. This isn't bad. I don't know how happy the choir is with this setup. I think it's pretty cool. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC. And whether you are with us in person or on the live stream, I would like to offer a very, very warm welcome to each of you. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us on this Christmas Sunday. It's the last Sunday of Advent, and we're moving into, formally, the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and we are here this morning to celebrate his grace and to receive his love. So if you're visiting with us, if you're here for the very first time, we offer you a very, very warm welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope that when you came in, and if they, anybody didn't, please come and tell me afterwards. But we hope they brought you over to our Welcome Center and gave you our fun goodie bag, the bag of swag, I like to call it, that has the big 22-ounce tumblers, great for you know travel and all of that kind of stuff, and lets you know a little bit about us. And then this is for everyone, whether you're visiting or a longtime member, if you would fill out the friendship pads. That means if you're on the end, we have a favor to ask of you. Get them started, sign it yourself, send it down the aisle. It lets us know that you're here, and we would greatly appreciate that. Several different announcements I want to make. Today is the big day. I see I'll come to the side. Do you see this group here? They have been working very, very hard preparing for our cantata which is this evening at 6 o'clock. So I'm going to do my very, very best to finish the sermon by at least quarter till 6, so that I have to make sure they're listening. But we want to invite you back for that. It's a great opportunity to invite friends. What a tremendous celebration. Come on back at 6 o'clock this evening for a very special program of time of worship. Christmas Eve candlelight service this coming Saturday evening. I understand, and this is where I'm from, Florida, uh, that it's going to be chilly here this weekend, okay, <laughs> compared to what it is, I call what it is now chilly. My app said something like low of 14. I almost threw my phone somewhere, you know, in terms of that. But it's going to be warm in the sanctuary. Great opportunity, again, to celebrate Christmas, to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and invite our friends to join with us as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Our Christmas Eve service is at 5 o'clock. We'd love to have you come out and join us. And then, yes, on Christmas morning, we are worshiping. It is the Lord's Day, and we will gather at 10.30 on Christmas morning for our Lord's Day worship. For Christmas morning and New Year's morning only, there's no Sunday school. And so be aware of that. And then we're moving into 2023, and a couple of brief announcements regarding there, where we will have a called congregational meeting after the service on January 8th, and that will be members of the church have the privilege and the right to vote in officers for deacon and elder, and we'll do that immediately after that. And then exciting news in terms of LOPC 2.0. I want to announce today that the session has extended a call, and he has received this call, uh, Mike Palumbo, to be our new assistant pastor. Now, this is contingent on his passing Presbytery exams, you know, the Presbyterian Church, the PCA, we're a little bit strict in terms of that. We just can't come in. They have to approve the call and approve the man. I had to jump through those hoops. We all have to do that together. Mike will be doing that at the end of January, 
and then hopefully he and Whitney and their little girl, Ellie, two years old, will be joining us by the 1st of March. And so I want you to think about this for 2023. When we come back in January, Travis and Ellen and Leah will be with us. Travis as our youth director, Ellen as our children's ministry director, and then hopefully in March we'll have Mike and Whitney and Mike spearheading uh, efforts of outreach and evangelism and discipleship. As far as I'm concerned, it's going to be an exciting year as we build towards our future. So those are some of the things going on in the life of the church. And now we're excited Olivia is going to play for us as we have... Well, before that, wait a second. My apologies, Jenna. I'm used to you banging back. It's Advent. See, 2023 is confusing me. Today is the last Sunday of Advent. And I have asked Rich and Jan Driesneck if they would do the reading and light today's Advent candle. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and for the strength and assurance that we receive from our union with Jesus. May we grow in cultivating communion with the one who is God with us, and may we continue to behold him during this Advent and Christmas season. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.
God himself has called us into his very presence to worship him this morning. Our call to worship comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And Jesus invites us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, you are the light of the world, and you have accomplished for us salvation that we may, with freedom, come into your very presence to adore your holy name, to worship you. And we ask that you would be present here with us. We invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to remind us of the truth, to apply that truth to our lives, that you would be glorified, that your name would be made great in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing praise to God, singing angels from the realms of glory. sitting just back here, getting up, wait and see. How long would you stay standing at the end of the hymn? Would you sit down or are you waiting for me to officially give you the okay? So 
good to know we can act without, without me necessarily leading, leading in. Friends, our need for confession this morning from Psalm chapter 14 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have been, become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. In verse 3 it talks about, and I think there it's getting to the root and the heart of sin, they have all turned aside. We have all turned away from God. And that means we're looking for something to give us meaning in life, to fill our lives. They could be good things. The Bible teaches us that idols can be good things that we make supreme, that we elevate to ultimate things. We have all turned aside. We're all in the same boat. And we constantly need to return to Christ, to return to Jesus. The Bible calls that repentance. Take a few moments and engage with the Lord yourself in a time of personal confession of sin. And in a few moments, I will lead us in, and we will join together praying our corporate confession of sin. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together. Holy God, you created us in your likeness, but through original sin, the image of God was utterly defaced in man. And we became, by nature, hostile to God, slaves to Satan, and servants to sin. And thus, everlasting death has had and shall have power and dominion over all who have not been are not or shall not be born from above. This rebirth is wrought by the power of the Holy Ghost, creating in the hearts of God's chosen ones an assured faith in the promise of God revealed to us in his word. By this faith, we grasp Christ Jesus with the graces and blessings promised in him. Amen. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Friends, this is the unbelievably good news of the gospel, accomplished in Christ Jesus, applied to our lives by the work of Holy Spirit. And just think of the reality. If you are in Christ, 
If you receive this gift, if you, I've been using the image of open this package. This is so counterintuitive. The gift of salvation cost Jesus everything and is completely free to you. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your condemnation, your punishment, your sin from you. We expect, I blew it, and here's the transaction. If I blew it, I'm going to be treated a certain way. That's, in a sense, how even a lot of our human relationships operate. God doesn't operate on a transactional basis. He operates on a covenantal basis. And Jesus has received the covenant curse in our place as our substitute. The transaction was laid upon Jesus so that if you were in Jesus, you are non-condemnable, non-touchable, as free as you ever can be. Oh, I implore you, be reconciled to God through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing, God rest you merry gentlemen. Jesus Christ came into the world to reconcile us to God.
so that we could once again have union and communion with him, live as we were created to live. Friends, let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. We will recite the, the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a time of pastoral prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do want to hallow your name. Your name is great. We want to praise and trust the goodness, your love, your mercy, your kindness shown to us, especially in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In him was light, and the light has come into the world, and the darkness could not stand against the light. Lord, we confess and acknowledge we see a lot of darkness around us, outside of us, even within us. We know that there are many of us who have experienced and suffered great loss, who are still going through difficult times. The darkness can feel so thick all around us. Jesus, we need you as the light. We ask for your comfort and peace and grace to shine in our hearts. Even when we don't feel it, even when it seems so far away, when we're falling apart, help us to fall down on you who is the rock. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting. May we with compassion stand alongside them. May we be a church that is growing together, learning of your love and overflowing with that love and sharing that love with others. We pray, Father, at this Christmas season that we would offer to the community the hope of the light of the world. That, Father, we would not only shine the light, but take the light to others. That we would be a going church, going out into the community to share the light of Christ <coughs> with others. That you would use us to bring renewal and hope and peace and healing to this community. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you and to praise you. We thank you for all the blessings that you have given us, that you do faithfully give us daily bread in every arena, spiritual, physical. We depend upon you for life. We live and we move and we have our existence. Our very being is in you. And Father, may we decrease and you alone increase and give you the glory. May your name be made great in and among us. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Be perfect. 
sense of this is where Jeff's going and we'll but every week I think to myself how does that perfectly fit in with where we're going in our studies and what we're doing and all of that and I think to myself okay so the men just beautifully brought us to the throne of grace singing that great classic he touched me now we're looking at in the book of Hebrews exactly what Jesus had to go through, what he had to do, what he had to endure, why he had to endure it, in order to bring us to himself. As we've been looking at during this Advent series, a series of studies that I call the indescribable gift, based on Paul's 
letter to the Corinthians where he says, thanks be to God for this indescribable, inexpressible gift. And I've likened it to opening packages at Christmas. You know, Jesus does say we have to come to him like a little child. So we have to approach him and have that childlike wonder. And come on, folks, remember when we were children and you got to open the packages Christmas morning? Run down the steps and see what's under the tree and all of it. At the yes, were we greedy and selfish? Of course. But there's a childlike wonder to that. And we need to recover that childlike wonder looking at the package, indescribable gift of Jesus. And so we've looked at it from the perspective of the superiority of Jesus. Remember, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to a community of people that's going through a very, very difficult time. They are tired of the darkness in and around them. They're tired of the difficulties of life. They're ready to go back to their old lifestyle. Throw up their hands and say, why bother? I've tried this following Jesus thing. It is hard. And they were right in that sense. It is hard. The Christian life is difficult. They were ready to go back to the known, to the familiar, to the comfortable. And the writer is encouraging them to continue on in the faith, and he's encouraging them by showing them the matchless beauty and wonder, the superiority of Jesus. We've looked at how Jesus is superior to the angels. He's the superior revelation. How he is the captain, the champion of our salvation. How he is the great high priest. And this morning our theme is going to be Jesus as our ultimate sacrifice. If you have Bibles, I invite you to turn. I do think the words will end up here. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14, and 10, 11 to 18. Friends, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And then picking up in chapter 10, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. But when Christ, but when Christ had offered once for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. I lost my place for a second, excuse me. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
Let's pray. Father, open our hearts as we hear the truth of your word, as you speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, come down to take your word and apply it to our lives. Help us to examine our lives, to look at the truth of your word, and we do pray for transformation. We pray that you change us, that your grace would change us. Father, open our hearts as we look at this tremendous passage out of the letter to the Hebrews. In Jesus' name, amen. We are moving from Advent into Christmas, and when you move towards Christmas, you're moving towards the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ was the only person in the history of the universe that was born for the express purpose to die. Jesus was born to die. Throughout the letter to the Hebrews, the writer has particularly utilized one image, a very familiar one with the people. We may not be used to blood of bulls and goats and heifer and calves and all of that, but what the people who were the recipients of this letter, they'd be very used to it, were hearing was the Old Testament sacrificial system and the work of a priest. And Jesus, we looked at last week, is the great high priest. And the writer to the Hebrews is describing the distinctive features of Jesus as a high priest. Now, I introduced this before, and I want you to have this kind of visual in your mind. This is the best way I can try to make this contemporary for you. To describe the work of a priest, I want you to imagine a bridge. You know what a bridge does? A, a bridge, their, a job of a bridge is to connect two land masses. So you have a chasm, and without bridge, a bridge, you can't get from one side to the other. There's a chasm between us and God that we can't reach, we can't cover. We need the bridge, which is Jesus as a high priest, to connect us to God. Jesus is the ultimate high priest who connects you to God. And we have to realize you were built for personal and relational connection to God. You were built for so many things. We were created for love and for meaning, for significance, for impact, for security, for purpose, for relationship. I can sum it up in a word. The word is union. You were built for union with God. Without Jesus Christ, you don't have that union with God. You need Jesus as a bridge to bring you to God. And we're going to look as Jesus, as the great high priest, that bridge who brings us to God, and we're going to look at it from three perspectives. Why we need it, what, how he did it, and what it accomplished. Why we need it, how he did it, and what it accomplished. Now, why we need it? We're on one side of the chasm. And on the other side are the things we have to have. You have to recognize this in the story of God. You were created for these things. You, were you can't escape that. You were created for love. You were created for purpose. You were created for union. And when we turned away from God, see, look with me at verse 10, chapter 10, verse 11. Referring to the Old Testament, he says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices 
which can never take away sins. See, there's the need. There's why we need it. In a word, sin. Sin creates that chasm. Sin, that turning away from God, creates that chasm and constitutes a barrier to fellowship with God. There is nothing more practical and more relevant for our lives than this. We have to have an answer to the question, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with the fundamental human condition? And the Bible's answer is sin in the human heart. The Bible doesn't say it's out there. The Bible says it's in here. And it's in here for all of us. Now, of course, we immediately are confronted with a problem here. And that is our society, our culture, the world in which we live has completely gotten rid of the concept of sin. Completely gotten rid of the concept. So they see injustice and evil and all sorts of things, but there's no working definition. So if you listen to the world, the world would say, oh, all we need is better education, political transformation, progress, science. This is a much way, a better way of doing things. Much more optimistic if we do this. Let's not just get all, you know, kind of talk about that thing, sin. What is sin? Now let me ask a question for that. How has that worked for us? Is the world getting better? Do we look right? Let me press it home. Look within your heart. Are you getting better? Does that work well for yourself, if you're honest with yourself? I know that's a dangerous question. How many of us really want to be honest with ourselves? We can't deal with the problems in our own world, and we can't deal with the problems within ourselves. The insecurity, the anxiety, whatever it might be, by somehow more knowledge, better education, some sort of self-help program. I read this thing, and it's not like the world isn't trying. I read this article that said in 2022, self-help and improvement programs was a $13.2 billion industry. See the problem we have in the world? We still think we can solve problems with just more knowledge or better principles or better education. There's a professor out of Columbia University, his name's Andrew Del Banco, who put it this way. And he also, this is another problem. He says, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. He says, we look at the world and the repertoire of evil has never been richer. We see it all around us. Yet never have our resources for dealing with it been so weak. He says, and this is the point of this quote, he says, we have no language or vocabulary for connecting what we're experiencing in our inner lives with the horrors that pass before our eyes in our outer world. If you think about it, every field, every endeavor, every unique area of knowledge has a vocabulary unique to them. See, there's a reason I'm not singing with the choir tonight. I love music, and I love singing. Ask Evie. I can wake her up with my joyful noises in the shower almost every morning, but it's not good singing. And the choir has a 
and the field of music has a vocabulary unique to it. There are things like whole notes and treble clefs and sharps and halves and stuff like that. Any of you other than the choir know what I'm talking about? It's a vocab. If you're a lawyer, there's a vocabulary unique to the legal field. Don't ask me what precedent and jurisprudence and all that kind of stuff means. Do you recognize Christianity is no different? The same is true for how we communicate the faith. We have to learn that people in the world and people in the culture really don't understand justification, sanctification, and we could get worse. Superlapsarian and infralapsarianism and premillennial and panmillennial and amillennial and all this. We could throw a vocabulary. Now let's get real basic. Does the world, do we in here really understand what sin is? We have to go back. The writer to the Hebrews talks about how the great high priest takes away sin. What exactly did he take away? What exactly is sin? And to understand sin, we have to understand it in the context of the story of the Bible. We have to understand that we, sin is not just a breaking of the rules. Sin is not just, oops, I slipped and I said a bad word. I broke the rule. Sin is so much deeper than that. If we want to know what is wrong in the human heart, we have to go deeper. And we have to go back to creation and recognize that we were created by God as a glorious dignity. That when God said, let us make man in our image, we were created to reveal and reflect God's image and God's likeness. We were his image, image in the world. We were to reflect what God is to look like. Thus, we were created with purpose, meaning, significance. And then, when sin entered the world, through Adam and Eve, we became glorious ruins. And sin, at, at its heart, think about what Adam and Eve did, wanting to determine what is right and wrong for themselves, what did they do? They didn't trust the goodness of God, so they turned away from God, and they became the masters of their own fate, the determiners of their own destiny. They took matters into their own hands, not trusting in the goodness of God, and decided that we could be better, better masters of our own happiness. And then we looked at what sin does to us, the beginning of the consequences of sin, a running from God that causes us to kind of have to patch up an acceptance, a validation in life, to give us a feeling, a sense of being okay, a sense of being right. Sin at its heart is not about breaking the rules, it's about breaking God's heart. Because God created us for a love relationship with himself. Do you think God created us because he needed us? Do you think somehow God went, Jesus, Spirit, kind of lonely here, right? Let's create man. No. He created because the essence of love is to give. The essence of love is to share. And so God being true to himself, God being faithful to himself as God shared himself with others and created man to reflect his image and create us. Sin at its heart is a breaking of God's design. It is a violation of love. It is breaking God's heart. See, 
We are built to work a certain way. Best way I could put it is we were created to be fish in water, and because of sin, we're now fish out of water. And here's the chasm. You can't get back in the water yourself. You cannot save yourself. No matter what you try to do, have the perfect family, create the perfect Christmas. I'll create the perfect experience for my kids or my grandkids. I'll be a success in life. I will do, no matter what it is, you can't, you're a fish out of water that can't get yourself back in the water. You need something else. You need that great high priest to be that bridge. Now that's why we need it. How did Jesus accomplish it? How did Jesus be that bridge? Now look at, again, chapter 10, verse 12, how he did it. It says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There it is, the word sacrifice. Now what the writer to the Hebrews is doing is he's contrasting Jesus with the early priests of the Old Testament. The text tells us the priests of the Old Testament all did their duties standing. Jesus sat down. They performed their duties standing because they had to continue to repeat them. Why? Because they were sinners themselves. So they had to continue. It never could take away sins permanently, so they had to continue to stand and repeat the sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice was once for all time. A single sacrifice for all time required no repetition. He did a sacrifice. He sat down because it was finished. And his sacrifice is through the cross. How important, how central is the cross of Jesus Christ? Let me give you a biblical example, a biblical illustration. In our community Bible reading right now, we're reading through the Gospel of John. We're almost finished, by the way. Those of you who've been participating, two more weeks, we're almost done. Then we get to start over. And right now we're reading through the Gospel of John. Now the last verse of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, verse 25, says this. It said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John closes his book. Now, for those of you who don't know me, let me give you a not-so-well-kept secret. I absolutely adore books. There is not a book that I haven't liked. I love books, all books. If you've ever been to my office, that's only half my library. I had to have somebody build built-in shelves for me at home so I could keep the other half of the library. And I'm still buying books. Now, I read this verse, and I go, if everything Jesus did was written down, I suppose that even the whole I'm just picturing this room filled with books. And John says even the whole world would not be able to contain those books. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm thinking, I want to see those books. I want to see all that Jesus did. Think about everything he did. Think about everything he said. Think about how he solved all the moral dilemmas, all the how-tos. If you're a parent, Jesus knows how to parent perfectly. Wouldn't you like to find that book? If you're a grandparent, Jesus knows 
and he's put in a book somewhere exactly the right balance between I'll see you later, you're your parents' issue now, and come to me. They know the Jesus, don't you want to see that book? How to handle finances, how to handle every issue in life. John gives us 25 pages, and then he closes the book. Now think about this, why did he do that? He gave us what we need. And John's gospel is not even really a true biography. Because if it was a biography, it's kind of poorly written because he really doesn't cover much about Jesus' early life, right? And then he really doesn't even cover a whole lot about Jesus' public ministry. There's some, a little more in that. Half of John's gospel is leading up to and talking about the significance of the cross. Now think about this. Friends, we think we need self-help and principles. The Bible was there to show us the cross. We only need, we only truly need in life what God gave us. And what God gave us was the message of the cross. He gave us what we need. We need to have maybe our perspective shift a little bit. We need to know the centrality of the cross. We need to know what this sacrifice for sin is all about. See what it means? It means that he was punished, and he was punished in our place. See, what is central about the cross and central about the gospel? It's this, reconciliation through substitution. We're at a chasm. You can't get to the other side. What did Jesus do? He threw you over his shoulder. He became the bridge, and he took you over to the other side. He did it all. There's a theologian by the name of Dale Ralph Davis who put it this way. He said, the issue for us is that grace isn't so amazing. There's nothing so amazing about grace as long as there is nothing fearful about holiness. See, the problem is we don't think much about the centrality of the cross and Jesus' sacrifice for sins because we don't think of ourselves in that great a need. So we're not in that great a desperation. But if we saw the chasm for what it is, we saw the holiness of God for what it is, then the fact that Jesus became the great high priest who took our punishment and our place and who reconciled us to God through substitution, grace goes through the roof. Grace is beyond amazing. It's inexpressible. Then we get the inexpressible, indescribable gift. And more than that, it's not just simple punishment. It's covenantal punishment. And covenant is always about relationship. The curse is always the loss of relationship. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, you have to see Jesus Christ, his curse in our place was not just the holes in, us, in his hands, but the hole in his heart where God used to be. The level of pain and the loss of relationship completely depends on the level of the relationship. When an acquaintance says, I hate you, it doesn't hurt as bad as when a friend says, I hate you. And that doesn't hurt as bad as when your best friend says, I hate you. And that doesn't hurt as bad as when your parents say, I hate you. And that doesn't hurt as bad as when your spouse says, I hate you. And he says, when you get into the relationship between the father and the son, 
we are so far beyond our wildest imagination. This is far worse than any physical pain. And he did it for you. And look at what accomplished. Chapter 10, verse 14, by this single offering, by this sacrifice of himself, reconciliation through substitution, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, let me break that down for you because this describes what the cross accomplishes. Through Jesus' sacrifice, by a single offering, he has perfected. What does that mean? That means he's made you whole. Just like the men sang. He touched me and made me whole. He has perfected you. That's, give you the big Christian vocabulary word, that's the doctrine of justification. That's what's involved in the forgiveness of sins when he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And that's Christ giving his perfect record to you. He has perfected. Now notice the order of this. This is so important. For by a single offering he has perfected, done, one act, completed for all time those who are being. And the word sanctified simply means made holy, changed, being made more like Jesus. That's the process of Christian growth. But notice this. You don't grow in order to be perfected. You're first perfected. You're in. You're whole. You're made right. You're given the record of Jesus. Chill out and relax as God changes you. He's not giving up on you. He's not getting disappointed in you. He loves you. He adores you. You're the apple of his eye. For by a single offering, he has perfected those that he's saying, here's where you could be a little less selfish in your life. Here's where deep down you're being a little defensive. Somebody brings up to you this touchy issue, and you're like, immediately, I didn't do it. No, 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 I've never been that. Wait a second. You know what you do when you're doing that, by the way? You're trying to perfect yourself rather than receive the gift. You are trying to justify yourself through your own goodness. Jesus is perfecting you by his single offering suddenly becomes not good enough. You'll help him out. You'll do it yourself. He says by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being made holy, those who are being made more like Christ. And the fruit of that, Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of that, you're being sanctified, you're being made more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and gentle and faithful and self-controlled. That's the personality of Jesus. But he starts with, you're in, you're perfected, you're given the record of Jesus. Friends, do you see what Jesus has done through his ultimate sacrifice? Why we need it? The biblical vocabulary word is sin. Because we naturally turn away from God. How he did it? Reconciliation through substitution. And what it accomplished. Through this sacrifice, by a single offering of himself, without blemish to God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he has made you complete. He has made you acceptable. He has made you and declared you right. He's given you his record, those he is changing. So we can, with freedom and with joy and with confidence, 
Know and trust the work God is doing in us. Not be so afraid of change. Not be so afraid of what God is doing. Our task is to appropriate this truth. To learn to act upon it in confidence, in joy, in love, and in obedience. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that the ultimate cause of salvation is your will. That the main event of salvation is the cross of Jesus Christ. May we as your people be tethered always to the cross of Jesus. I think of the Apostle Paul's words, may I never boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ through which I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. And as a result, we can grow as a community of your people that you have favor upon, that your smile rests upon, so that we can freely, with our consciences purified, serve the living God. Thank you that Jesus, your death, was the effective sin offering that removed every obstacle to our serving you. Lord, help us to remember and appropriate the truth of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.
friends, now receive the Lord's blessing, the Lord's smile, the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.